If you would, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 25 this morning. As you'll notice, 25 is not quite to the end of the chapter. Um, We'll leave one verse there, verse 26. Uh, We'll catch that next week um, as we look at starting in... uh, chapter 6 next week. Now this is, I would dare say this is probably the most famous passage here in the book of Galatians. And uh, as we get towards the end, you'll see why I would call it that. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And all things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, over the last couple of days, uh, I realized that... When Stephanie and I interviewed here in Arkansas at Trinity, that we may not have been told the entire truth about Arkansas. So, um, these last four days have been absolutely gorgeous. And I had no idea that this is what the weather in Arkansas was like. If that was the case, I probably would have moved here a long time ago. But... um, now, I have been told, though, that this is probably the mildest summer that we've had in a long time. Um, I was told that a couple of weeks ago, while it was, I guess, 100 degrees with like 100% humidity, uh, which is probably more typical Arkansas, if, uh, if, from what I've been told. Um, but man, these last four days have been gorgeous, have they not? Um, it has been incredible. Um, we have been blessed by that. But um, these, uh, these last couple of months, we've been marching through the book of Galatians. 
Uh, we're getting close to the end. Uh, there's six chapters in Galatians. We're at the end here of chapter 5. And like I said, as we were reading, uh, this is probably one of the most famous passages in all the book of Galatians. When you think of Galatians, uh, you think of justification by faith, and you think of the fruit of the Spirit. We learned the songs when we were young. Uh, I won't sing it for you right now. That might be embarrassing for me. But, um, but we've learned these from a very early age, the fruit of the Spirit. And so this morning, we are going to talk about the fruit, but um, understanding that they are the fruit of the Spirit. Oh. And this morning, what we're going to do, I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open and available. We're going to be marching through this passage just verse by verse. I figure this is a pretty familiar passage to most of us. And so what I'd like to do is just kind of take it piece by piece uh, as we march through this passage. So starting in verse 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, previously in Galatians, what we've been talking about uh, most recently is that we have this freedom. We have been given this freedom But Paul is encouraging us not to use our freedom to indulge in the flesh. As Paul has been explaining to the Galatian church that we are justified by faith in Christ. Not by following the law, not by these things that we do, but by faith. And since we have been justified by faith, we are set free. But we're not set free so that we can indulge in things in the works of the flesh, which we'll get to in just a minute. But instead, Paul is encouraging the Galatian church to use their freedom to serve one another. He says, for freedom you have been set free. And do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So in a sense, how are we supposed to do that then? It's, it's great to know, yes, I've been set free, and I shouldn't use my freedom to indulge the flesh. But how are we supposed to do that? And I believe that that's kind of what Paul gets at in these verses that we're looking at this morning. Now, Paul says that the way that you won't gratify the flesh is if you are walking by the Spirit. I have a confession. I am not, by any means, a Greek scholar. Um, I don't often bring up the Greek in my sermons, but I feel like the Greek does give us a deeper insight into the passage here. So bear with me just a moment. Uh, When Paul says that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh here, he's using the aorist subjunctive. Now that may not mean a whole lot, but what that means is that uh, this is the strongest negative that you could possibly have in the Greek language. When this tense is used with a negative, What Paul is saying here is that there is no possibility of this happening in the future. It's not like it won't happen. It's that it cannot happen. He cannot use stronger language here in the way that he writes this. It's not that it just won't. It, It is an impossibility. So what he's saying is that when we walk by the Spirit, it is impossible for us to gratify the flesh. And what he's giving here is a command to us. He's not giving a a command just to one person. 
This is a, a command in the plural. I know we don't do that well in the English language. English is kind of quirky. But what he's saying, if I was back home in Chicago where I grew up, he would be saying, now you guys walk in the Spirit. But here in the South, we, we say something like, y'all walk now in the Spirit. This is what he's saying. All y'all walk in the Spirit. And going for a walk is something, it gives the impression of a continual action. When you're going for a walk, it's something that usually tends to drag out. Um, it's not something that you do um, like when you're going for a run. Um, you do it for necessarily a, a specific time, but when you go for a, a walk or you go for a stroll, it is um, something that gives continuous action. And so what Paul is saying here, that when we walk in the Spirit, he's saying that this should be our lifestyle. He says, I want your life to be lived in the Spirit. Not just at one point, but continually. He's saying, live this way. Live according to the Spirit. You see, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, something happens in our life. We change. It's not something that is subtle. It's actually something dramatic. It's not just that Christianity becomes a part of our life. It's that Christianity becomes our life. Christ doesn't uh, occupy a section of our heart. Suddenly, Christ becomes our entire heart. And so what we do is we walk in the Spirit. We have this lifestyle change. When we become a Christian... That defines our very being. Um, when we are, say, if a, if a young man or a young woman is 18 and they enter the military out of high school, the military becomes their being, in a sense. It becomes their nature, who they are. Um, it becomes part of themselves. The same thing happens when we put our faith and trust in Christ. That is our nature. I guess the question for us this morning is, does our relationship with Christ, therefore, define who we are? Have we let other things in our culture define who we are instead? Now, college football season is coming up. And I know what college football means in the South, uh, especially in the Southeastern Conference. We moved, uh, Stephanie and I moved from one state that was SEC to another state that is SEC, People take their SEC football very, very seriously. Uh, that's probably the biggest understatement I've ever made in my life. Um, uh, it, it can be to the point of, of religion. But in all the excitement of the upcoming season, um, it's easy to get caught up in letting the fact that we are a college football fan define who we are. But Paul is telling us that our definition comes from Christ. It comes from our lifestyle as we walk with the Spirit. Paul is telling us here that this needs to be who we are. Moving on to verse 17, Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirits, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. There's a battle going on inside of us. 
And it's a battle between the flesh and a battle between the spirit. When we become Christians, we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. He forgives us of our sins. But in reality, our sins remain. Our flesh remains. It's not like when we become a Christian, suddenly we become perfect. We still sin. Before we became Christians, the flesh, our sin, ruled in our lives. It has free reign to do whatever it pleases. Our sinful desires are free to roam in our lives. But now the Spirit has shown up on the battlefields of our hearts, and there is a war going on inside of us. Think of it this way. I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis and his uh, series, The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, If you're familiar with The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, probably the most famous of his books there, the story starts off with Lucy, who is a young girl, and her three siblings. They're playing hide-and-seek, and Lucy goes into a wardrobe, and she is suddenly transported into this Um, into this mystical world called Narnia. Uh, She comes back, and later her three siblings as well uh, enter into the wardrobe, and they are transported to Narnia. And when they arrive there, it is winter. It is cold. And Narnia at this point is being ruled by the evil white witch, and it has been for hundreds or a hundred years. And the saddest thing is that it is perpetually winter, but never Christmas. How sad would that be, to be perpetually winter, but Christmas would never come? How awful. Um, And all this has been happening while Aslan, the great lion, has been away. He has been off. And while he is away, the witch has been free to rule and reign here in Narnia to create her winter wonderland. But as the book progresses, there are rumors. Rumors are spreading that Aslan is on the move. And finally, towards the end of the book, he shows up in Narnia. And when he arrives, the battle for Narnia begins. And in the end, Aslan wins, but that doesn't happen immediately. The witch and the great lion, they battle it out. And in the end, obviously, Aslan is victorious. But the same is true in our hearts. You see, sin had the right to reign in our hearts. But then the Spirit shows up, and there is a war going on inside of us. And the flesh is strong. Sometimes, some days, the flesh wins and we fall into temptation. Some days, by God's grace, the spirit wins. Does this mean that the flesh is stronger than the spirit? No, but it does mean that the flesh is very strong. The sin in our life is strong. Uh, Even in Paul's life, as he describes in Romans chapter 7, he says that the very things that I do not want to do, I do. And the flesh may win some battles, but we know that the war has been won by Christ. That He has conquered sin and death and hell.
But the thing is, our life a lot is a struggle. Um, just to be candid a little bit in my life, there are things in my life that I struggle with as a Christian. And it's hard. Um, uh, I'm not going to specifically confess all my sins this morning. I don't know if that would be helpful. Um, but you know the feeling. There are things, there are temptations in our life that we suffer through that we feel like, God, I cannot believe that I am consistently doing this. There's several times where I feel like, God, I'm in my 30s and yet I'm still struggling with this. Shouldn't I be further along in the process by now? Um, it's difficult. The flesh is strong. But praise be to God, we know the end of the story. Is that even though we have these constant temptations, um, that the flesh doesn't win. The flesh may win the day, but the war has been won by Christ. And I look forward to the day when I won't have to say, God, I am sorry. Please forgive me for this once again. See, life isn't a cakewalk as a Christian. The Bible never tells us that it will be, that life will be just fine and dandy, uh, nice and easy when we become a Christian. It's not suddenly this, this grand and glorious like a, a walk through a meadow. Um, it's a war. And it's a war that's going on. Because Satan doesn't like it when the Spirit shows up in our lives. In fact, he hates it. Stephanie's dad was here this uh, past weekend. And Stephanie's dad likes to get things done. He is a doer. He is a very type A personality. So he was here uh, last week, Saturday, and he just started walking around our house. Uh, we've lived there about three months now. And uh, he's a handyman, too, so he knows what he's doing. And he was just pointing out things left and right. You know, you should probably fix that. You should probably take care of that. Uh, we need to put locks on the doors and just a variety of things. So my, my honeydew list got very, very long as he was here. Uh, it'll take a long time for that to, uh, to get accomplished. Uh, but one of the things that we saw while we were walking around the outside of the house was this huge hornet's nest. It was, it was gigantic, but it was up kind of in the eaves of the house. I had not noticed it before. So we had a, a lot of other hornet's nests that I had taken care of, so I had a, a couple of cans of hornet spray. So I went out there, I got the kids inside, and I started spraying this hornet's nest. And as you know what happens when you spray a hornet's nest, they don't like it at all. <laughs> Um, suddenly, I, I bet there was probably 20 hornets that came out of there. It was, it was like a swarm. Um, I ducked quickly into the garage, uh, let them fly away. But this is what happens when the Spirit shows up in our lives. This is what happens. Satan is like those angry hornets. He gets very upset when his territory suddenly is getting messed with. He has free reign in our hearts, and then suddenly the Spirit shows up on the scene to mess up the good thing that he has going on. And that wasn't the end with the hornets. They were mad. They were upset. Um, I don't know where most of them went. I'm sure they're still hanging around a little bit. But life as a Christian is a battle. It is not easy. You see, Jesus calls the life of a Christian as, as walking down a narrow path. It is, it is heading towards this narrow gate. And... Life is easy on the way to destruction. He calls it a broad way, and the gate to destruction is broad. It is easy. But the way 
to eternal life is not. The question is, do we treat life as the battle that it really is? Let's see what we are up against here as we look at verse 18. Um, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Just briefly about this. Um, If you're led by the Spirit, what that means is that you're a follower of Christ. And we've talked about the law in the the previous chapters of Galatians. When you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you believe that He has fulfilled the law for you. That He has taken your sins, He has nailed them to the cross. Where once we were guilty because of our sins, now we are declared innocent. Where once we were slaves to the law, now we are sons of God. Christ has kept the law for us on our behalf. Therefore, we're not obligated to fulfill it anymore in order to gain God's favor. That's been done. But the problem is, if you're not led by the Spirit, then the reality of Christ fulfilling the law has not happened. And in reality, you are required to keep the law. Because if you don't, you will find yourself under God's judgment. You'll be found guilty because we cannot keep God's law perfectly. So Paul goes on in verse 19 to give us the list. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. To me, if they were evident, which I know that they are, you wouldn't need such an exhaustive list. (laughs) Say, you know what they are. But he goes on and he describes many of them. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. In different chapters in the Bible, we see other lists as well. They include some of these same terms. They include some others as well. But what Paul is saying here is, let me give you some examples. And I think what he means by the fact that they are evident and the the fact that the list is so long is because, as he's saying them, more and more come to mind because they are very clearly evident. He calls them the works of the flesh because these things are the result of the flesh. They are a result of the sin in our lives. Our life, the fact that Satan is ruling and reigning. See, these are the things that the flesh does. Our sinful nature. These are the actions of our nature. This is how we know that our sinful nature is at work inside of us because these things are clearly evident. Paul says that they're obvious. They are so easy to spot. Um, we can easily spot it in the news. All you have to do is turn on the, the TV and you see a certain political candidate in New York who I am just blown away by the fact that he is running for mayor of New York right now. Uh, he was caught in scandal, uh, maybe it was a year or two ago, sending inappropriate text messages. And as he is announcing his candidacy again for the mayoral candidate of New York, even more things are coming out. Why? We see this as obvious. What this man is doing is obviously wrong. They are clearly evident. You see, the works of the flesh uh, are easy to spot, and easy to spot in other people's lives. It's easy for us to, to point fingers at each other and to cast stones. 
But what we do in our own lives is that we do our very best to try to hide them. Usually we do these acts in secret because it's so obvious that what we're doing is wrong. We try to hide it. And I believe that we're living in a culture right now that isn't minimizing these works of the flesh. They're not putting them down. Instead, our culture no longer condemns certain things like they used to do. Instead, our culture is promoting these works of the flesh and it's calling it entertainment. Um, Obviously, Paul starts off here with sexual sins and it is very obvious and very evident in our culture, the sexual sins um, that we have as a society. Um, But what about something that's maybe a little more subtle? Uh, We live in a culture that really promotes popularity, uh, fame, uh, we live in a celebrity culture of movie stars and musicians and athletes. And I feel like what we're doing is that we are breeding this culture of, of envy, of jealousy, as we see what other people have and we want what they have. We want to be like these people. And it doesn't even have to be these, these superstars or these celebrities. In our society, we have this increased communication. We know uh, more and more about what's going on in people's lives, and we share a lot more with one another. Are we actually becoming more and more jealous and envious of each other? We see what other people have and what other people are doing, and we want that. Um, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Facebook. Um, we, we use Facebook as a very, very positive thing, but also we got to understand the negatives of it. Um, very rarely do you see people having a bad day on Facebook. They, they promote their things that are positive, the things that are going on um, that, are, that are positive. Um, uh, several of our friends recently have decided that Facebook was too much for them. Uh, not only was it promoting jealousy, But it was something that was just taking too much of their time. So what they did, they deleted their Facebook account. And I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, But I feel like in our culture, what we're breeding is this this envy, this jealousy of one another. Paul has very strong words as he follows up this list at the end of verse 21. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Wow. So wait a minute, Paul. So if I am jealous, does that mean that I am not a Christian and therefore won't inherit the kingdom of God? Um, if I you know, have envy or have a fit of anger, does that mean that I am no longer a Christian? Uh, this is where the Greek comes into play again. Because what he's talking about here is a continuing action. This is something that happens over and over and over again. This is habitual. If we were to do these things without remorse and complete disregard for God's desire in our lives, if we're not willing to go to battle against these sins in our lives, then this is what Paul is talking about. If we are using our freedom to indulge in these things, then no, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul tells it like it is. Why is this the case, though? You see, if we're doing these things habitually, if we're not caring about whether or not uh, we're living a godly life, 
That means that we're not walking with the Spirit. Paul says that very clearly. If we're not walking with the Spirit, that means that we don't have Christ in our lives. And if we don't have Christ in our lives, then we know the obvious. that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will there be lapses? Yes. Uh, there's going to be lapses in our lives even today. Um, probably even on the ride home uh, from church. Uh, the flesh, once we... Like we said before, the flesh may win one day, but at the end of the day, the power of the Holy Spirit picks us back up, dusts us off, and we go back to battle yet another day. So now Paul moves on to the fruits of the Spirit, verse 22 and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no Law. You know, the, the, fruit of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit usually draw less attention than the works of the flesh. Um, they're probably not as sensational, not as newsworthy as uh, scandals that we see, sexual sins and whatnot. Sure, we see the occasional act of kindness on the nightly news. It's displayed there. But it's usually myths lost amongst all the crimes and the scandals and all the other bad news that we see. See, when a person is living out the fruit of the Spirit, they don't care if they receive the recognition for, the, for their actions or not. They do, don't do their acts of love or kindness or goodness or faithfulness to be seen by other people. They, don't do, they do these things for the benefits of other people, not for themselves. It's not self-promoting. And usually these are things that happen behind the, the scenes. Like take, for instance, in our church, the nursery workers that are faithful. The people who do the bulletin every week, who cut the grass, who do the dishes after a fellowship meal, you see, these people are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit here in our church. They're not drawing attention to themselves. Instead, um, they're doing it all behind the scenes. We're not going to look at the individual fruit this morning. Uh, the fruit themselves are important. But what we need to remember is the fact that they are fruit. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, what I mean is that fruit doesn't just happen by itself. We don't just suddenly manifest an apple or an orange. Fruit, typically, let's just say that fruit grows on trees. I know that they grow on a variety of different things. But let's just use the tree analogy. You see, fruit just don't suddenly materialize out of the ground. They rely on the roots and the trunk and the leaves of the tree. They grow. The fruit rely on the things working properly within the tree. When things are present and working as they should, the fruit happens naturally. Apple trees produce apples, and orange trees will produce oranges. If you have a grapevine, it will produce grapes. Fruit are the products of the reality of what is going on inside of the tree. Paul is not telling us here in this passage that we need to go out and that we need to do love and that we need to do joy and do peace and have patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. What he's saying here is that if we have the Spirit at work in our lives, this is the product. 
you will see it. It is evident. It is clear. The important thing is that we not try to do love. The important thing is that we have the Spirit at work in our lives. And once we are living by the Spirit, these things are going to take care of themselves. We don't have to try to create them on their own. They will come naturally. At the end of this list, he says that against such things, there is no law. How can you make a law against kindness or goodness or love or gentleness? No, the law wasn't put in place to prohibit these things. The law was put in place so that these things would be maintained. So as we conclude here with verses 24 and 25, Paul is restating his thesis in verse, that he described in verse 16. But he's saying it in a slightly different way. See, in verse 16, he's talking about the perspective of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But here in verse 24, he's talking from the perspective of Christ. In 16, he says, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the flesh. But here he says, belong to Christ and crucify the flesh. See, when we belong to Christ, we walk in the Spirit. There's the parallel. When we crucify the flesh in our lives, we will not gratify the flesh. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that we have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So how do we crucify the flesh? There's a movie that came out uh, several years ago, maybe three or four years ago, uh, called Fireproof. I don't know if you have seen it at all. Um, It's by a a church out of Alabama. They've done several movies like Facing the Giants and Courageous. Well, in this movie, Fireproof, Kirk Cameron plays a firefighter whose marriage is in trouble for a variety of reasons. Uh, One of them being the fact that he is uh, addicted to internet pornography. And as he becomes convicted of his sin, he realizes that he needs help. And that he needs it desperately. What you don't see is Kirk Cameron going on his computer and setting up firewalls and, um, and um, putting filters on his computer, limiting his time on there. What you see is him taking his computer outside, setting it up, and taking a baseball bat to it, completely destroying, completely destroying his computer. You see, to crucify the flesh means to hate sin and to do whatever we possibly can in order to rid it from our lives. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that if our right hand causes us to sin, cut it off. Um, Obviously, he's being figurative there, but what he's saying is that you need to hate sin so much that you are willing to go to great lengths, whatever extent possible, in order to put sin to death in your life. But you can't stop there. As you're clearing out the sin in your life, we need to do what Paul calls the Galatians to in this passage. We need to live by the Spirit. You see, for Kirk Cameron to just destroy his computer isn't going to take care of the problem of internet pornography. Because his problem is lust. The problem is in his heart. Obviously, he can take care of that symptom. But what we need to go to deal with is our heart. This is what Paul says in verse 25. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step 
with the Spirit. So our problem is, as Christians, we try to do the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit in our lives. We focus on the production of the fruit rather than on cultivating the Spirit's work in our lives. Um, I'll end with this story. One of the, the books that our kids love um, is the book about a red, a red tractor. And what happens is that there's a village, and they have this red tractor, it's their pride and joy, and they use it to plow their field so that they could plant their food and have a harvest. But the problem is, it's actually pretty funny, um, that they don't understand how the tractor works. They think that they have to push and to pull this tractor through their field. So you see in this book them with a rope and people in behind, they're pushing this tractor and pulling it with all their might. And it takes them weeks for them to plow their fields. But at the end, what happens is that they rejoice. They're so grateful for this tractor. They plant their fields and they have a harvest just enough for their town. But one day, something marvelous happens. Farmer Dave, he finds the manual for the tractor. And he reads... He reads the manual and he realizes the tractor can run on its own. (laughs) This is a novel idea, but they don't believe him. The villagers think that he is crazy. But what Farmer Dave does is he stays up at night, he reads the manual, he fixes the tractor, and it runs. In one, in one, one night, he plows the entire field. And when the villagers wake up in the morning, they are amazed. What they think is going to take weeks suddenly is done for them. The villagers are amazed, and now that they can produce enough food, not only for that town, but also for them to share with villages around them. See, when we try to do the work of the Spirit on our own, we're going to get tired and frustrated, and it's going to be nearly impossible, like what these villagers were experiencing. But when we rely on the Spirit, the fruit is going to take care of itself. The fruit of the Spirit will be evident and will happen in our lives. So the question for us this morning is, what is distracting us from the Spirit? What is distracting us from cultivating a Spirit-filled life? Because fruit takes time to grow. It doesn't just happen. Are we being distracted by the things in our culture which can so easily take our time and can take our focus off of the cross? Are we taking our time alone with God like Jesus did so often in his ministry? Are we taking the time to cultivate a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because these things don't just happen. They need cultivation in our life. And are you willing to take a baseball bat, like Kirk Cameron was willing to do, to the things that take us away from the fruit of the Spirit? And as we end, let's be reminded of the Gospel. You see, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't save us. We can live our life full of love and mercy and joy uh, and all those other things, but it's impossible for us to do these things on our own. We'll always fall short Because God requires us to demonstrate perfection in these things. But the good news is that we don't have to. 
The good news is that Christ has done it for us. And because he walked with the Spirit, he didn't gratify the flesh. Instead, Christ put sin to death when he died on the cross. And through faith in Christ, we are now able also, through the Holy Spirit, to walk with the Spirit inside of us. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for what Christ has done for us on the cross. We thank you that he has put sin to death. And I pray that as we go to battle with sin in our lives, that the Spirit would show up, that it would strengthen and encourage us. And we pray that as we face temptation, Lord, uh, that we would not succumb, but that we would rely and trust in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you for this. I pray that you would help us, that you would guide us as we go to battle. And that you would remind us in those times when we fall short that sin may win the day, but Lord, you have won the war. And we look forward to the day when we will no longer be tempted, that it won't even be possible for us to sin, that we will spend eternity with you in perfection in heaven. We look long for that day, Lord. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.